Well, good morning. Today, we are continuing in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> I was just looking this morning at 1 Samuel, and there's only 30 chapters, and so we are almost to the end, if you can believe it. Well, maybe, you can. I mean, it's, you know, it takes a while to get through the Old Testament, right? 39 books, uh, some of them very long. Uh, at least twice the content of the New Testament. It takes a while, so that's why I tend to do like two chapters a week, and that's good. <clears throat> and it's also good because there's a lot of good common themes that need to be driven home over and over again. Well, today we are talking and picking up where we left off with David and Saul. And so let's just recap a little bit of what we have learned um, from the last few chapters. First Samuel, <clears throat> tell me about what you have learned in the book of First Samuel. Or already know. We are stubborn people. Ah, there we go. All right. Woo! We are stubborn. I like that. <laughs> what else? We haven't changed much. <laughs> I know it's hard to say that, isn't it? We haven't changed much. And <clears throat> and maybe I'll add Maybe the second clause there. We just drive nicer there. chariots. Say it again? We just drive nicer chariots, that's all. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, maybe you do. i got a Corolla. Speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> this is, you know, 1 Samuel took place 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. What? 3,000 years. 1,000 BC, give or take, is, is when this is happening. Yeah, people don't change much, do they? In both ways. Both ways. People don't change much. What else have you guys learned, you gals? Who are the main characters don't of First Samuel? Our, don't put our trust in man, but that's uh, it. <clears throat> don't put your trust in humanity. <clears throat> yep. Don't. And I, I mean, that's. And on some level, we still do too, right? I mean, yeah. I hope, right? I, I trust you to have my best interests at heart, and so there's a there's a bit of a conundrum there, I suppose. How do we say this? <clears throat> we said this a couple weeks ago. Life is a paradox. Not a single human being on this planet wants to accept that. What is a paradox? A paradox means that two seemingly contradictory statements are simultaneously both true. Humans hate that. It's a fundamental truth of our existence. We put our trust in people. <laughs> Don't put your trust in people, but put your trust in people. <clears throat> he's not actually leaving because he's upset. He has to do the communion meditation. I just want you to know. <laughs> what else have you learned? God sees the heart. Oof, this is good. God sees your heart. What do you mean by that? Um, Blood pumping? Atrials and ventricles and he sees, aortas? He sees our, um, our purpose for... Okay. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Say it again. Purpose. The purpose for what you're doing. Purpose for what we're doing. Okay. Our intentions, I guess. Oh, our intentions. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So can I can I touch on that for just yep. a second? So it's been it's been said that 
we judge ourselves on our intentions and we judge other people on, on their actions. Right? So like clearly that. we know that man looks on the outside, but God looks yep. on, on the heart, right? The Which is why God liked David so much. Uh, and that, some of us don't. Right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. I like that. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, is though that there without being able to actually look at yourself and be honest with yourself, you can't ever make an improvement someplace. If you think, I went, I'd go over this with Ben, because he would say, I spent three hours at the gym today. I've been three hours every day at the gym. But if I went there, here's what I'd see. He'd take 20 minutes to put his shoes on. <laughs> he'd spend 30 minutes over there talking to that person. He'd mm-hmm. shoot 10 free throws, and then he'd take his shoes off and spend three hours at the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but, and, I, and I know that's, a, that's kind of a humorous um, example, but still the same thing with ourselves, and, and I think that intention thing is just so important for us to actually be honest with our own intentions. Maybe I'll also, I hate to put words in mouths, maybe I'll add to what you're saying. Please do. I think human perception is often different than reality. Yeah. I think that it also depends on where we're base, where we're looking at. Like if we're, if we're looking at the world for yeah. our comparison, yeah. or are we looking at the Bible or Jesus? I mean, yeah. where, where we're setting our, Ooh. our standards is a big part of that. standards matters who you this is a this is a really big one this might be the one of the biggest ones on here the reason I say that is because look I hate politics I'm only going to talk about it for like two more minutes and that's the rest of it. <laughs> but what I will say is this I think I will propose as a scientist a hypothesis that 99% of people vote for a presidential candidate not based on logic and reason and reality and facts, but on who they identify with or who they want to identify with. He's tall. He's good looking, or she. He supports the things I support. He may have completely no idea what he or she is doing. They may be completely wrong for the job. That doesn't stop people from voting for people, okay? Who you compare yourself to says a lot about who you are going to trust Mm -hmm. to mimic. We all mimic others. We will take what other people are doing and kind of mimic it for ourselves because we say that's important. If I hold certain people up, I will want to emulate them. Who you say is, you know, who you're voting for says a lot, and again, I don't mean this in a political way as much as I, you know, maybe from a human psychological point of view, the people that you copy or the people that you are saying, you, you elevate, you edify. Who are you wanting to edify here, Saul or David? <laughs> right? And I think that's what we're getting to. And look, this is great. We're already almost 15 minutes in. We haven't even read the scripture. Why don't we read the scripture? And then we'll have something to base this all on. 1 Samuel 23. We're going to read the whole thing. 1 to 29. Who would like to read that for me? I can. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. 
But David's man said, men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kilah and struck with the Philistines, and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. Now it happened when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David at Kilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul was plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Kilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kilah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, If David, not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods in the hills of wherever that is, which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul. Come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure, and see the place where his hideout is, and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you, and it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore David went down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David into the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. And so they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. Thank you. Very good, sir. Okay, geography lesson. I had to look some of this up, so it's not like I know all this, but 
Here is my terrible map of Canaan, which at the time now is starting to become a, a cohesive country called Israel. We have Philistia, where the land of the Philistines are here. Peleset, um, <clears throat> this is where the name Palestine comes from. Jabus, what town will Jabus become? It's kind of a big one. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. See, you know it. You can say it with passion. Jerusalem! I'm guessing. You may be wrong, but I was I'll tell you. I'll edit that. <laughs> Jerusalem. This, this will become Jerusalem. It's not in the hands of the Israelites yet. <clears throat> Hebron. <clears throat> Here we have the Dead Sea. So Arabah means essentially the desolate wilderness. I mean, that's probably the best way to say it. Um, so that's where we get things like desert. It's where we get um, the wild. It also is uh, synonymous with like a flat plain. So this is where Campania or Champagne comes from. The word Champagne, so if you're, if you're familiar with Champagne, Illinois, the reason it's called Champagne is because it's flat, if you've ever been there. All of this really refers to this Dead Sea rift zone that is right here, that we now call the Dead Sea. So we have this, this region, which is not hospitable, it's dry, obviously by the name, it's not a very nice place to be. <clears throat> Ziff, I had, to, I had no idea, Ziff, it's just down here, it's just south of Hebron. This, this Mayon uh, region is just kind of the Araba here, I think. <clears throat> and so this is where a lot of this is taking place. En Gedi, I, you know, this I knew, that there are springs that continually um, water this region right by the Dead Sea. And so thus, that was a good hiding place because they would have fresh water to drink. <clears throat> Kayla, what do you notice about where Kayla is located? Real close to Phyllis. Ooh, it's real close, isn't it? It's close to the, to the enemy battleground. And thus, <clears throat> you know... We remember the story of David and Goliath, where David went out and fought um, the hero of the Philistines and defeated him. <clears throat> this is a battle zone right here. So you have raiders from, from the Philistines coming and doing what they do in the, in the 10th century BC. They, they take and plunder what they can because they're, all their economies are really based on kind of a plunder model where they grow what they can, and this is a fertile region, don't get me wrong, but they need more stuff to feed their population and supply them. So they come and they steal cattle, they steal grain from the threshing floor, and then they kill a few people along the way because those Israelites are real jerks. And then you've got this real problem. So Kayla is right here, and it's right on the border. <clears throat> Who went to defend Kayla? <laughs> Who should have been there defending Kayla? Who do you want to be? What do you want to align yourself with? This really comes back to that. Um, and this is, this is what I want to ask you as, as we get through this chapter here. Did God stop Saul? In chapter 23. Did he physically stop him? No. No. Could he have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think that Definitely. there was... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, he, later on, he does. I mean, yeah, he I'm talking about right now, in yeah, this chapter. He definitely could have yeah. if he, yeah. If it fit into his plan, it would have happened. Do you think there was despair? Definitely. Um, look, I know you think things are bad right now. You know, relatively speaking, maybe they're, maybe they're bad. Folks, this is not the 10th century BC you're living in. I'm sorry. It is not. If you are a resident of this town called Kayla in the 10th century BC, guess what? There's really little hope for you in your life. <laughs> there's no medical care. There's no social security. There's no retirement planning. There is really no army to really protect you reliably. There's no wall and border here 
there is these people that keep coming and killing your, your loved ones and taking <coughs> your stuff daily. <coughs> You're on the outpost. Um, things are bad, folks. Things are bad. And now you have the king who is supposed to be protecting you has now really kind of said, screw, I'm sorry, excuse me, forget you. Forget you. I'm not coming. Why am I not coming? Because I am, I am engaged in really unholy things. I am engaged in things that are so bad. I am trying to kill this guy for no reason, who I think is trying to, to take my throne and trying to kill me, which is not true. Is not true. And so, do you think the people of Kayla are despairing at this point? You better believe it. Did God let Kayla be destroyed? No. What happened? He sent a righteous man and he saved that town. Folks, it happens. It happens. Now, is it the timing that the Kalites would have liked? I would say no. Yeah, I, I think it's probably good. Yeah, probably not. Do you think that, you know, do you think that the moment these attacks started, someone showed up? I don't think David got there the, the day after. Look, folks, this is not, you know, they don't have... They don't have Humvees and, and aerial attack vehicles, and they're not there in, you know, anywhere in the world in 24 hours or 24 minutes. It may have been days, weeks. We don't know how long it took for David's forces to finally get to Kayla and, and help them. This could have been a real long, terrible time for them. But guess what? Guess what? What happened? What happened? David and his men came and rescued the town. They saved them. They saved them. You know what? It was okay. It worked out. Now I want to ask, <clears throat> and, and this, is, this is an implicit what I just said, was justice immediately rendered? No. Do you think that the residents of Kayla were looking up and saying, life is not fair? Mm-hmm. You better believe it. You better believe it. Was justice eventually rendered? Yes. Absolutely. Now, here's the other thing. <clears throat> what do you think David is thinking about all this? Do you think David is also despairing a little bit? Clearly, he's despairing. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. He says it, yeah. Because yeah. in verse 16, he's about done. And yep. If it wasn't for Jonathan, he may have been. The son of his mortal enemy had to comfort him. David, this great guy, we think, brave and strong and mighty and nothing can shake him. Dude, he's pretty upset. He, he's, he's feeling a little hopeless here too. He's on the run. He's just got a few people. He actually went and fought this battle and you better believe people died. He didn't just show up and everyone lived. <clears throat> now, what was God's role here? Now, if you're David, you might be thinking what every human on earth probably thinks today who, who believes in God, that God is my vending machine. I'm just going to stroll over to the break room and I'm going to put in my quarter of penance and prayer for the week because that's how it works. Well, I'm going to pray this week. And I've got one quarter, which is, if you're lucky, 10 minutes of prayer. God, save me from X, Y, and Z. Plunk it in, push the button. Guess what happens? Guess what happens? What does God say? What does God say? Is God your vending machine? No. I do love reading um, David's prayers from this time in Psalms and looking looking at it and seeing 
you know, how he prayed to God and how miserable and, you know, how much he was re relying on God to, to save him from all of it. And he knew he couldn't do it himself. I love reading those. Can you read it songs. for me, please? Um, Psalm 6, I think, is a good one. Okay. I know Psalm 26 is good, too, but okay. Psalm 6 isn't as long. Do this for me. Will you read 54 first? Because it's really short. Psalm 54? Do, do 54 first. Okay. I think, and then we can do the other one. Yep. Nope, that's fine. Any, I mean, there's several that are, yep. are really there's good There's a lot of songs, right? I believe mm -hmm. scholars think Psalm 54 was actually written because of this. Bat of, well, it's of Ziph. Yeah. It, it's what's coming in Ziph. But we can read it now anyway. Can you read that? Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God for themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a... A free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he is, has delivered me from every trouble. And my eyes has looked in triumph on my enemies. Your assignment for the week is to write Psalm 54 on your heart. I'd just like to point out on this, though, that David... <laughs> He still asked for their destruction. He was okay hey, with that. It's okay. And you know Absolutely. what? But what else did you have in that prayer? Was it just, okay, I just showed up and I, I, didn't, I never prayed to you before, God, until I finally desperately needed you. And the only thing I'm going to say is, please destroy my enemies and then have a nice day. Right. Is that what happened here? No. What did, what did David say? The recognition of sovereignty. You recognized God's sovereignty what else did he say he recognized his position he recognized david's own position uh-huh and he also acknowledged that it was going to happen he 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 believed so that god was going to answer it he believed god would answer did he did he go oh god please destroy the Philistines and then go and complain to all of his friends about how it was never going to happen. You were going to say something. I was going to say verse 1 says, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Nice. It puts the power in God's hands. Get out and vote. You have to decide this election. Folks, you're not going to like me saying this, but it's the truth. God appoints your leaders. Yeah. Now, you don't like to hear that. And you're going to say, well, if a few more Christians would have voted for the other guy, none of this would have happened. Bull dookie. Bull dookie. Okay. The universe is not yours to command, folks, and I know it's hard for you to hear that. I know it's hard for you to be fed a diet of bull dookie that you have a right to vote, so you need to decide how the world works. That ain't how it works, folks. God, and God alone, is sovereign over the universe. Yeah, if you have the ability to vote, that's awesome, go do it. But then, at that moment, your part is done. And really, it was done before you voted. Why? Because instead of blasting the world, with how everyone else should have acted, you should have been spending the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years raising your kids as Christians, putting the Bible on their hearts, 
teaching them to pray every day, feeding the homeless and the hungry, forgiving your enemies and, and turning the other cheek, telling your coworkers about Jesus. And you know what? I, again, hypostulate, you know, hypothesize that none of this would have happened. By the time you have to blast complete strangers with the way they should have acted, you haven't done your job and it's too late. And guess what? God is telling you something. He's telling all of us something. Whose hands is all of this in? And now you want a vending machine to fix it. I noticed a lot of praise in that prayer, of worship. You are sovereign and in control of the entire universe. Who is not in control of the entire universe? I know it felt really weird when Paul, going to Rome, probably for the second time in the mid to late 60s, first century, probably once or twice thought the Christians are going to be extinguished. And this guy Nero, who's on the throne right now, the emperor of the whole world, has it in for us, and he's going to destroy all of us. What ended up happening? Explosion of Christianity. Unlike any the world has ever seen. Unlike any the world has ever seen. It's, so you talked about the paradox no? at the very beginning. Did, the other thing we can't get straightened out in our minds is the paradigm shift. The things that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. The if you want to be first, then be last. Mm -hmm. The if you want to... You know, if you want to lead, then then serve. If you want to gain your life, you must lose your life. Yep. And so, if we want Christianity to go forward, does that mean sometimes my life must be extinguished? Maybe. And all of us are thinking that right now. I don't think any of us are saying, you know, the the, the opposite. If you want my crystal ball, the answer is it's not it's not yet. It's not yet. And. And, and I do believe this, and I could be wrong, and God can strike me down, and the video can burn up here. I think this is a warning shot. I don't think this is the end. I don't. I think this is God's, you know, have you ever seen the Three Stooges? You know, the one goes with all of the guys lined up, and he goes, he just runs and slaps them all in the face simultaneously. That's what God's doing to us right now. And it's okay, because that's, that's the way it works. This isn't the end. Now, it should be, a wake-up call because it is possible and someday that will happen <clears throat> the Bible is clear there are Christians who will lose their lives continually it's not over folks and things will get eventually much much worse I don't think that's yet I don't think that's yet which is why it's so important for us to accept the wake-up call accept the slap in the face and go about doing what we were supposed to be doing in the first place what else well, I think Samuel you know, he, he despaired also when they wanted a king. He felt like he was being rejected. Mm. And God said, no, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting. I think that's yes. important to remember, especially nowadays, is that if you're out there preaching the gospel and it's not accepted, it's not you that they're rejecting. Thank it's, you. It's God that they're rejecting. Thank you, Doug. It's so true. This is, I, again, it's not your war. I know that sounds weird, too. It's not your war. It's God's war. You just signed up for it voluntarily. You were not conscripted, thank God. You were not conscripted. That's a Calvinist thing. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. <laughs>
Well, see, that comes back to like, <coughs> like when, so, uh, is it Joshua or Gideon that, yeah, no, it's, it's Joshua that's, that's, he's won a few battles and all of a sudden he meets the angel, he meets, uh, um, not Michael, Mike. <laughs> Gabriel, he yeah, meets Mike. Gabriel, right? And he said, whose side are you on? He draws his sword. He's feeling full of himself, draws his sword. Whose side are you on? He's like, I'm not on your side or their side. I'm on God's side. Because it's not your battle. And, and this is... this is this Clearly is, Joshua yep. was, was, was vindicated in, in his fight, in right. his part of the fight. But the angel recognized it's, that's not, still not it. This is exactly what happened with David and Goliath. When Saul went up against the Philistines in the Valley of Elah, he was seeing it as a battle between Saul and Goliath, or, or the Israelites and the Philistines. Who did David rightly see the battle as? It was God's war. It was God's battle. And who did he depend upon? And who did he glorify? David just showed up, guys and gals. He just showed up, and he did what he was expected, to be courageous, to be faithful, and to do what God asked him. And that's all he had to do. He didn't take it personally yet. He will. He yet. took the <laughs> fact that the other Israelites weren't taking it. I mean, he was, he was offended that they weren't taking it personally, yeah. that they weren't sticking up for God, yeah. and that they were allowing it. Yeah. He did take that personally. Yeah. But he wasn't trying to wave the flag of Israel, right? No, no. <coughs> because no, what happens... Was, he was saying we're God's people. Yeah. Because what happens when you win? And we've seen this from Saul. When Saul does win, who does he attribute the victory to? Himself. This guy. That's it. Yeah. In response to what you said, the, <clears throat> the people were believing what the Philistines were saying. You guys are yes. dogs. You're nobody. Yes. You're nothing. Yes. That's easy to do. We... We believe our enemy <laughs> so much more than we believe our Holy Father. We do. We hear it. And it, I get it, Especially folks. Day after day after day after day. Because what was it? 30 days or something. He came out and called them the names. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you're going to, no one's coming back. This is the last one. I get it. I'm going to say this. Whose fault is it? 90% of it right now for hearing it day after day after day. Yeah. This is a window to wickedness unlike the world has ever seen. And when you fire up your Facebooks and your Twitters and your Googles and your whatever news station you listen to, you do it to yourself. You feed the bull dookie to yourself daily. And then you complain about it. Oh, I'm despairing because I'm, I'm consuming this bull crap day after day after day. And I'm listening to the enemy. Who does God want you listening to? Him. Him. Do you, do you pray as much as you, you watch Fox News or MSNBC? You know, blast both of them. <laughs> do you? Well, I, I talked a little bit last week about how I used to just listen to my own self about <clears throat> yep. my dad. It's my dad's fault. Yeah. And once I couldn't blame him anymore, all of a sudden I had to start listening to God only about why I couldn't do this or that or this, whatever. He's like, I'll just take your hand and help you through it, you know? Let me guide you through it. Worry about yourself. And well, but see, this is what I do. I think he gets the heart today. Yeah, I appreciate that. So when I'm helping, <laughs> when I'm helping abuse victims, we talk about truth a lot because, it, of course, when people are being abused, they're they're pulled things that aren't yeah. true on a regular basis. Yeah. And a common thing is smear campaigns. 
which we've definitely seen a lot in our, our country. Um, if you heard somebody, a crazy person, running around saying that there was a unicorn at the park, you wouldn't run around behind them and make sure everybody behind them knew it wasn't true because you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. When we give power to lies and yeah. when we argue about lies, we're actually validating their mm -hmm. point because we're saying we believe people will believe their lies. Oh, this is great, Lori. I'm going to say this. Oh, dude, so many soapboxes today. All right. I do not believe in astrology. Astrology is not astronomy. Astrology is astrology. It is the belief in the zodiac, the planets, the stars, and heavenly bodies control your life. And if thus you, you track their movements and you, and in some cases you pray to them, uh, they, will, they will give you benefit and glory on, on the earth. I have never in my entire life believed that's true. Not even for a microsecond. And thus, when people I have known, or, and I have known people who have believed that astrology is true and it controls their lives, I haven't even, I, I haven't even spent five minutes trying to tell them they're wrong. And I probably should have, and this is back when I wasn't really professing Christ like I should today. I probably should have given them a five-minute primer on the gospel, um, lesson learned. <clears throat> but even today, I'm like, it's, it's, it's not true. It's totally bogus. I'm not, I don't even think about it. Okay? I think there is something to this. Why would I get into an argument that Mars doesn't control my destiny? It's, it's so ludicrous. I'm, I'm going to ignore them. The fact that you're getting pulled into a fight says something about what you really think. Mm -hmm. You're afraid. You're afraid. You've been listening to the enemy so much, now you're personally afraid. Maybe they are right. And I'm taking it personally. Mm -hmm. Don't take it personally. It's not true. Astronomy is true, not astrology. <laughs> Let's go on. We have, we have a little bit more here. And then I can, I can really get on my soap. I got a really big soapbox for the end. 24. You're like, that's not the big soapbox? 24. <laughs> 1, 2, 22. Who wants to read that for me? I will. <clears throat> now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That's funny. <laughs> uh, now, now David and his men, they got pause for, you know, effect. <laughs> effect, yeah. Uh, now David and his men were sitting in the inner recess of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should not that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Fully relieved. <clears throat> now after David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord the king, and when Saul looked at Looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. 
David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see. Now my father, see. Indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than me, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Reactions. It shows in David's heart that he feels bad just for cutting his rope. Yeah. I had the thought that I maybe should kill him right now, and he feels bad about just that. Isn't that, how foreign is that to our modern society? Just that. That was even before Jesus, when Jesus talked about just the thought of killing it. If you hate your brother, you've already killed him. I mean, that was before that even ever happened. Mm -hmm. David kind of got it before it ever was even, he knew the heart was what mattered. What would the world have told him to do? What would the, in his his own, here, I'm going to make a comment here. David's own people were telling him, and they were quoting God. Yeah. They they were were saying, God wants you to kill him. Yeah. Oy vey. (laughs) Oy vey, his own people were telling him, well, God wants you to kill that guy. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for you? Every, I've said this before, every single person in here is a leader. Now, you may not have a, a group of 600 men that you're leading, or 6,000, or you may not be CEO of a company, or maybe you are. Every single Christian is a leader in the world. And how hard is it sometimes to be getting it from every side and sometimes you have to do what? Shut up, shut up, shut up. Phone off. They don't even have phones like this anymore. I don't know why I did that. Phone off the hook, right? You can't pull it out of the wall anymore. Everyone shut up. I'm going to listen to God. 
So here's my soapbox. I'll just go to it right now and then you can get over with. I prayed Wednesday. I wondered why God had no meetings for me on Wednesday. <laughs> like literally, I don't, well, I, I've got a, a very busy job and I'm very blessed in what I do. Pretty much every day I've got between, I would say, five to eight hours of meetings a day. I know that probably sounds soul crushing. Do you actually enjoy my job? I think it's fun. Um, sometimes it, it wears on me. I was wondering Wednesday, I looked at my, at my outlook and I'm like, there's no meetings? I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Now I know why. Now I know why. As soon as I woke up and I <clears throat> started to, and I, I have been very good about this. I have not been looking at the news for like eight months. And when people tell me about riots and things burning to the ground, I'm like, get out of town. That's not true. I, I seriously am ignorant about it and have been very happy, actually, <laughs> in my soul. I, I went back on my rule. And I, on Wednesday morning, I fired up that darn thing and I started to consume all the bull crap of the world and stressed me out. And so... Hopefully my boss isn't listening to this. I spent almost the entire day in prayer. And I think God did that on purpose. I think he knew this was coming and he wanted me to have time to talk to him about it. Now I pray every morning, but I think he wanted something more. I prayed all day. I prayed all day and I prayed for very specific things. I know some Christians are like, well, whatever your will is, let it be done. I acknowledge that after I pray for the specific stuff. I was probably about two or three in the afternoon when I finally decided to shut up and listen to what God had to say. Now, this is one of the hardest things Christians do. It's not prayer. I think there's two hard things. I think there's three. There's four. <laughs> I think there's, yeah, I think there's something really, really hard about listening. I think it's really easy to go to the vending machine and tell God what you want and then go about your business. And then God's like, oh, and you're off doing whatever. And then you come back and you go, and if you could have it this way, that would be great. And he's like, okay, uh, and then you're wandering off again. So about 2.33 in the afternoon, I shut my mouth. I'm gonna tell you what he told me. He did respond. If you go to God and you ask him and you believe that he is real and he has something to say, he will talk to you. He talked to me. He told me exactly, and it was crystal clear, folks. It wasn't wishy-washy. It wasn't, the, you know, it wasn't astrology. It wasn't Mars doing something. It was God very clear and plain. He said, Brian, it's not your job to tell the whole world how to act. And it's not your job to blast millions of people with your message. He said, you are responsible for your sphere of influence. I, God, am responsible for the rest. He said, you need to focus first and foremost on the people closest to you. Your spouse. Your children. This is exactly what it was in my mind as he was telling me it. <clears throat> my family, my extended family. My brothers and sisters in Christ. And then your closest friends. <clears throat> he said to me, Brian, 99% of your day should be focused on this. Don't worry about the rest. Pray with your wife. Make sure she understands truth. Make sure you're telling the Bible to your children. They're reading it daily. Make sure they pray every day. Make sure you teach them how to pray. 
The further in you go, this is more of your time should be spent. Most of it with your spouse and then your children and then worry about your family, your, your, your close family, the family you're closest to, your immediate family, your parents, your sisters and brothers, what have you. Your Christian brothers and sisters, the ones who show up on Sunday, the ones who are in your small group. Don't worry about the Christians going to, I don't know, um, <laughs> I shouldn't say any names, to megachurches. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Don't worry about all the people going to megachurches that you've never been to. Focus on the brothers and sisters in Christ that you know personally, that you know their middle names, that you know their children's names. Then worry about your closest friends. He said to me, Brian, if everyone on earth does this, the problems on this planet evaporate. They evaporate. What is the opposite of this model? What is the opposite? It's what we're doing right now. It's the opposite, social media. I'm going to blast a bunch of strangers with, with crap and then hope that somehow magically they believe what I say. You know what? Sometimes that works. And, and I will say this is the propaganda model. That, and it's getting worse today. That you know, media outlets and the internet, the people who control the internet, all of this, they think that if they blast you with a certain message that you will just become indoctrinated. And to some degree, they kind of, they're kind of right in the sense that they start to convince people who should be doing this, that this is the right way to do it. Blast millions of people. Meanwhile, you're ignoring your children. You're on, you're on your phone complaining about someone or blast, you know, sending Bible verses out. Meanwhile, your kids aren't reading the Bible. They don't even know. You're not being a good model. If you are sitting there despairing and anxiety-filled about what's going on in the world, and your kids are watching you, they're watching you, where do they get that from? And then, not surprisingly, this is the model. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to blast others. <coughs> okay? Strangers. Right? And then what happens? It collapses under its own weight. Eventually, it all just falls apart, and then you have the, the situation we're in today. Brian, maybe he's not telling you this. Maybe he's just telling me. You do this, and I'll work out the rest. That's my soapbox. What do you guys think about that? Amen. Brian, because you said, because you said that everybody's a leader, yeah. can we assume that if we draw two more circles in there, that one would include you and one would be God in the middle? Can we assume that in those circles? Is that the middle one? God? Yeah, God yeah, would like be that. right in the middle, like and then, then there would be you, and then there'd be the spouse, and then children. Now oh, going, I like that. I now, love now, that, James. Let's I'm, do that. Now I'm going someplace. Me, and then what, the spouse. Yep, I love that. What, what, if, what if those are not circles? What if that's a funnel? Hmm. Up or down? <laughs> to get to God. That's, and that's good. And all these, and this is how you do it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I think, I think that, um, I, I can't remember who told me it, but years ago they were like, you're either moving towards God or away from God. And that in your relationships, if you're both mo moving towards God, you're getting closer together. But if you're moving away from God, you're actually getting further from each other also. And I think that this <clears throat> kind of demonstrates that also. You know, if we're moving to the outer circles, and away from, from God and God's purpose, we're also moving away from the people that matter. 
Where in the New Testament is the model that says, God says you need to hitch your wagon to whatever political leader is there at the time and let him use you for your votes? Show me where that is. Show me. It isn't in there. Show me in here where it says, my number one priority is to go blast strangers on the corner with doctrine and ignore the rights and the needs of the homeless and the hungry. Show me where that is. Show me where it says you need to despair over who the emperor of Rome is. Show me that. What does it say instead? God first, I like that. Thanks. <clears throat> no, no, it's good. The, the reason, the, because when you were drawing it, instead of a two-dimensional circle, <clears throat> I began to see it as a funnel. It's good. It's like, and so this is how everything funnels people to God. I like that's, that. That's, that's all. I just began I like to that. see it that I like way. like that. Jesus said, love God, love others. Yeah. Just that. Two greatest commandments. I mean, that, that yeah. rules out every, all that other garbage. <clears throat> I mean, I, I jumped on yesterday. I mean, like, you're freaking crazy. Yeah. You know? And then I'm just, eh, let it slide. I'm not going to follow up with that person today, you know, or tomorrow or the next uh -huh. day. <clears throat> Yeah, it's just like Here's the thing, and I love that. Consider this. Think about the ingredients. Maybe instead of this, you have the ingredients for making a delicious, and I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, righteousness pie or something like that. You're going to make something, you're going to cook something delicious for God. Righteous indignation is the seasoning, the salt, that you just put a dash of in. Righteous indignation. We all have it, and we should have it, because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be Thank you. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Yes, you should have some level of righteous indignation when people do wrong, are not just, and hurt you. Guess what? God says you can't bake a pie made completely of salt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's going to eat it? It'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll kill whoever. You can't eat a pie made of salt. You'll die. What are you talking about? And yet, what kind of pie are we making? What, what am I going with this? Christian... Baking, I guess. I don't know. That's my point, though. We, well, we can't that do that. A little bit of salt, the pie won't taste good either. Yes. Thank <coughs> you. There's an ingredient for a reason. Well, and remember that, yes. I mean, it's not salt, but a little bad yeast goes through the whole, yeah. will go through the That's whole it. batch. So you also have to be careful what ingredients you're picking. Yeah. That's it. Oh, my gosh. This is so good. we got to come up with a better analogy. Well, we'll do that. But it's it's close. It's close. All right, that's my soapbox. What, what other things do we need to talk about in the last four minutes today? Where are you all at? Where are you all at? Sometimes it feels, sometimes I feel lazy when I just yeah. turn the other cheek, you know? Okay. Kind of like, I mean, like you were saying, I'm sure there was opportunities that I didn't take that opportunity yeah. to, to be salt and light. Yeah. And it was, yeah, this one. Do you remember those books that you could read that, like, you could pick your own ending? You oh yeah, I love direction? those, dude. Yeah. Okay, so imagine if this was this story here with David and Saul in the cave. Ooh, oh, by the way, that David catches him in the most degrading situation that anybody could be. It's Look, I locked three doors. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> there's three point. doors between me and everyone else. That's my point. Just Get like, out. Right. So there's nothing to say that it would have been wrong to have taken the one path that his men would have talked him into. 
but it's better this way, right? And clearly we see that. I don't know, it just strikes me that just the, just the, the integrity of David, the heart of David here in that story is just, it's a lot to aspire to. And because of it, he kind of won Saul over. Which is surprising because Saul was after him, after him, after him, after him, after him, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, you're not the guy." Now he didn't go back. No, he didn't go back. back He's like, "No, yeah, we're going to stay here in the cave for a while." (laughs) But obviously something happened. I agree with that. I agree, something happened. He he recognized that he's not the guy that he thought he was. He's not the threat so much. I mean, he's he's exactly the same threat he always thought he was. But for some reason, Saul starts to soften a little bit to him. But I think this too, you know, David was really weary yeah. from being chased. This event actually gave, God was able to give David a period of rest too, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that's, yeah, who knows how the rest of Saul's men would have responded if David had killed Saul. You know, it's, it's you know, it's just one of those what if stories. Yeah. But, wouldn't we all love to stand there with the piece of his cloak in our hand? Yes. I mean, in life, like, I could have, I could have, so I didn't. But see, I, mean, I would stand there and say it would have been egotistical for me to do that, yeah. right? David is like, dude, look, he, he probably wants to get back to him. Look, I'm so and sorry. And he apologized to him for it, yeah. Right? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Right? It's, I don't know. I think that um, back to your fun, your circles. Um, when I was learning about parental alienation, one of the things that one of the special or one of the experts talked about was um, healthy, happy, safe, and successful, and that if you could demonstrate that to your children, it would pull them back to you. Honestly, the alienation in our country is from God, and Christians demonstrating healthy, happy, safe, and successful is what is going to pull people back to God, not being mad or not us trying to blast people but us showing how healthy happy safe and successful we are and what what they you know what they could achieve if they were letting their peace come from god and if we were showing what god's peace was like so would you say life more abundantly (laughs) kind of i mean not i mean abundant when i think of abundantly i think of debauchery and that's definitely not what i'm meaning i'm meaning being healthy i'm meaning mentally healthy you know when we get when people try to trigger us into arguments not being drawn in being able to handle ourselves you know and not be triggered is part of that and definitely in my situation i had to learn that because i was constantly being attacked Mm -hmm. So it definitely is a thing where you have to learn self-control. And God talks about self-control a lot in the Bible for that reason. So, so. you're all going to write your action items for the week. I'm not doing it for you. I'm tired of preaching. You're going to preach to me now. What is your action items for this week? Be a Jonathan to a David. Oh, yes. I'm going to burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I'm serious. I'm bursting into tears. What else? I mean, focusing on your fear, sphere of influence, I think that is huge. We're, we're so <clears throat> mindful to be so externally focused that we're not focused on the people that we can reach yep. the easiest. Yeah. And who you're responsible for, biblically. Who else? What else? Probably do some more listening. 
Yep. Sometimes that's hard because you don't always want to know what the answer is. That is exactly why we don't listen, Rodney. That is exactly it. I don't want to know the answer, dude. I'm just going to tell you. What else? What happens when a Christian either you thought was a Christian and voted for the other guy and they come up to you and they blast you about it? What are you going to do? I just always wish him happy. What are you? What are you? What are you I'm going to cut do? off their Say gene leg. I, I on the internet where yep. you know I try to stick to a point and they keep trying to bring me into different arguments I just always go let's just go back to our first point and we can discuss it but then at the end and I've actually been defriended by people yep. that are relatives of mine because mm -hmm. I told them I hope you can find joy and happiness in your life and the you know and they they can't handle that I but mean, you it are bad but no nope. you know I have a niece of will that literally de Defriended me because yep. I wouldn't, you know, because her position was different. Than mine. What else are you going to be? You're going to you're going to be positive, and then what are you going to do? He said, I, "I wish them the best." Wish them know? the best, and then what? Pray, Pray. for them, folks. This is it? Peace, love, and what? What are we? We are commanded to do. Say it again. Joy. There's there's like five different versions, but yes, peace, love, and joy. You. I, <clears throat> You, you're writing this, so what else? Be, I'm going to say, I'm going to add that. Be joyous. We know the end, so yeah, we don't have to despair. So what's the opposite of despair? Hope. Hope. Goodness. Well, the world is I looking think, to you. I mean, it's not probably one of your little bullet points, yep. but just remembering that list. any any despair or yep. anxiety that we have is not coming from God. 100% true. Now, what happens when the people that you are closest to fight you on this? Are you going to give up on them right away? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Put love up there. And severe, I'm going to say, be patient. Self-controlled. Be patient. Self-controlled. It's like it's like First Timothy all over again. What else? Love. Love. Love them. Love them. I it mean, is really. The, I mean, say, really. Like, real love. And what does real love look like? like? I got they love. Which is? How do you? Keep Unconditional. No yeah. No record. <coughs> I love this. Don't folks. just talk about it. Be about it. Say it again. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. It'll Act. be the clanging symbol. Act. I love this. I love this. Can I close this in a word of prayer? I don't usually do that. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, you are sovereign God of the universe, and in you is all of the hope of mankind. Without you, there is no hope. And help us today as we struggle, and we see those around us struggling to be patient, to be loving, to turn the other cheek, to not seek our own gain, to not be proud, because pride will destroy all of us, but to love. Let people get in the last word. Let people zing us. Show them, Lord, through our acts of kindness and mercy, that you are right and that all of this is gonna work out and help us with our sphere of influence, God, that we can focus first and foremost on those closest to us to raise up our family and friends in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.